once again. This is Nuance, and I am Mike Scala, as always, joined by Jay Carter with Fresh Haircut, also known as Timid, the hip hop artist and the chair of BLM Tokyo. What's going on, Jay? Uh, you know, feeling the wind in my hair. <laughs> there you go. Do you feel lighter? Um, in some cases, yeah. Some cases, I uh, feel a little bit lighter. Um, it's just, um, you know, I hadn't had long hair in a while, and uh, I do like my do like my long hair, nice and nice and luxurious locks, as it were. But uh, sometimes, you know, you don't you have to think about things you don't have to think about when you have short hair. Like you know, when you go out the door, like you have to like actually do your hair. Mm. when it's short you just get up and go you know right right i ain't gotta worry about that all you gotta do sometimes is get a fresh shave maybe shake you know straighten the beard up a little bit yeah like you don't have to worry about the rest of it but um yeah with that you have to so yeah problems i'm just happy that the sun is coming back out we had a really bad thunderstorm here earlier but seem to fizzle out faster than threads so here we are whoa what, what what why was the shot what was the shot at threads not a shot it was just funny how threads for like a couple of days was also going to be the next big thing and now people don't talk about it anymore yeah people are still got you know still getting on there doing their thing i think threads has a a, a very unique uh opportunity right now but they have to move much faster because with all the drama going on with twitter um you know because it's now supposedly now called x right um, but is that gonna take i saw a funny meme earlier i don't know if you saw it it was like this whole twitter x thing reminds me of when you're at a party and someone walks in and says everyone calls me the serpent and no one calls him that <laughs> i don't i don't know like it's you know he's been pushing it um or at least he just suddenly popped it up on everybody um news came out today actually that apparently he didn't secure any of the the trademarks needed so like microsoft owns a certain thing with a uh, trademark on x meta xbox. owns a thing on, on yeah. x with regards to social media yeah 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 so and you know microsoft and meta are not really cool with him so they're probably not gonna make it easy on him so but there I, you go meta i mean who even says meta unless you're talking the context of the company trying to be very specific but no one refers right. to facebook as meta right no oh well facebook is still facebook it's just the parent company became meta so you know People he's not say facebook i think when they talk about even usually even activities with the company unless you're trying to be like you said, very specific about it right right so I, yeah i'm still gonna call these them tweets um he's saying right. that tweets are gonna be called x's from oh, now come on. on that's just like, sounds like trolling to me <laughs> it seems like it's trolling right yeah. um so what threads is lacking right now is you know there's no there's no follower feed so you can see only tweets or threads from your your followers um there's no way to um automatically insert uh gifts in your in your tweets um of oh, the humanity and there's no there's no hashtags yet on it so i think they're missing a few things but if you if he put those if they put those things in it would be much more like the twitter people are used to and we could coax more people through and i think the biggest the biggest roadblock i think they're gonna have though is that it's associated with instagram so you have to have an instagram account to have a threads account which right. i think is really going to slow down their progress yeah definitely. i get why they did it but that's but also 
I think would help them establish themselves as quickly as they did. So that's, that's exactly. Yeah. Because they had they had a base in already. They have what whatever, you know, hundreds of millions or whatever it is that Instagram has automatically have that base. They don't have to go through the growing pain. So they went, did like what 70 million new users in like a, a day or something. Um, I think I think they did that for that reason. And I would guess at some point they're going to separate it from Instagram so that you can have an individual login. Mm. Um, after they get that big solid that get that big solid base so that they can have an advertiser pool so we shall see what happens we shall we shall all the social media makes my head spin it's just like another thing to keep up with yeah you know what i, I you know i don't i give threads not as much attention as um Twitter and I don't do that much Twitter these days, but that's what I mean, right? It was that shiny new toy for a couple of days and now it's not. Yeah. I mean, I think it just depends on how much you were using Twitter before, right? I use Twitter for some promotional things, but you know, it, it's still I don't know. I think the algorithm is still an issue on, on threads because you get shown what you get shown. Like you you have no choice of who it is. Even if you follow people, that doesn't mean that's what's gonna come in your thread. Yeah. And so, you know, you miss out on a lot of stuff. Well, I'll say speaking of missing out, but not really. I think we were talking about Carvana last week. <laughs> yeah. I, was I guess there's the segue Carvana missed out, right? Because I went to the dealer and did get what I would consider to be a good deal. But there was a lot of negotiating involved. Um, was it a bit than what Carvana was offering you? They wanted to offer me the same, believe it or not. And I said, well, that doesn't really make any sense. But then they were telling me, yeah, but the tax incentive will be better because you can save on this tax if you do a trade-in. And I said, yeah, well, Carvana gave me the same story. But I wanted better. I was disappointed with the Carvana offer. It was a couple thousand below the market value of my car. I said, listen, I'll just sell it privately. Not that I want to, but I understand taking a little bit of a hit for the convenience of it, but I don't want to drop thousands of dollars on it. So- right. There was negotiation involved and they did go up on the price. They still were below the market value for the car, but they were at least a thousand dollars above what Carvana offered. And I said, listen, we may be able to work something out if you come down on the price of the car I'm going to buy, right? Which I've done before. I actually did that same song and dance with the dealership once before. And we negotiated over it. They didn't want to come down a lot, but I eventually told them this is where I was at, either take it or leave it. And they eventually took the deal, I think begrudgingly, right? Because at first they said no, but I said, well, call me if you change your mind. And they changed their mind right away. Nice. Very nice. There's that, there's that law school training. Yeah. Yeah. Stick to your guns, you know, and I think it's important in a negotiation. Obviously it's a negotiation. So there's going to be some wiggle room there. Otherwise you're not negotiating, but you should have what they call a reserve in mind, which is your bottom line number, right? The lowest you'll go or the highest you'll go, depending on which way you're negotiating and never go beyond that, even for a dollar. And it might sound silly, right? But you can lose a deal over a dollar, but you can flip that same question back to them. Are you going to lose a deal over a dollar? You know, right. um, it does work. Of course, you have to be prepared for the possibility that it, you don't get a deal. But you have to go into a negotiation willing to accept that possibility. You shouldn't be afraid of that because then you're positioning from you're, you're negotiating from a position of weakness. You don't want that. You want to go in thinking this is where I'm at. This is what I'm trying to do. Here's my bottom line. 
I'm not going to accept anything less than that. And you know what? If I don't get it, that's okay. You have to be okay with it because that gives you a lot of strength in the negotiation, right? If you are desperate to make a deal, then you get taken advantage of. All right. The other thing that they teach you in law school, actually, well, I don't know if all law school teaches. I was very fortunate to take a special class on negotiation in law school. And mm. one of the things that they taught was to negotiate around your price, your number, right? So oftentimes what you'll see is you'll offer an, a number, let's say the other side comes back and it's way less. Let's say you know, you're, you're trying to get the most money here. They offer mm. way less than what you're looking for. Mm. Oftentimes the expectation from the other side is that you're gonna meet them somewhere in the middle, right? Like I say, I don't know, I say 100, they say, uh, how about 50? And then they think, okay, you'll come back with 75, right? And sometimes they'll offer that trying to get you to that midpoint. But what you should do in your negotiation is negotiate around your number. So if I, so I'm trying to get around 100 and they say 50, I don't come back with 75. I'll say, okay, how about 92? How about 91? Like you, you, st you stay close to what you want. Right. You don't let them just push you far away from your number. Right. Looks like we got Shiva joining us. Hey, Hi, Shiva. Hey. Hi. How are you? You're doing all right and yourself? I'm doing okay. Been busy. But right. yeah, I had a couple of funerals to attend, but uh oh. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. So we do have some topics we want to cover and we don't want to go too long tonight. So we oh, should get okay. into it. But before we get into our main topics, I know Sheba, you and I were speaking on that Jonah Hill incident, which Jay and I covered a couple of weeks back. But I want to get uh -huh. your perspective on that as a woman, because a lot of people were saying that Jonah Hill was misusing the word boundary. And when he said, these are my boundaries in a relationship, he was really being manipulative. So what was your thought on that? Well, um, I would ask the question is uh, she, her being a girlfriend, how far, how far does she go in the relationship? Because people do have boundaries. Mm -hmm. So it depends on what, they agreed upon when they entered the relationship. Mm. That's, well, that's what I think. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I think, Jay, you brought up the fact that he knew what she was into when they started dating, right? She was, was it a surfer? I forget now. She, she, did she do some surfing modeling or something? She's a surf instructor. And, um, right. and so, yeah, when they met, that's what she was doing. That's her livelihood. Um, and so as as you do someone who's a surf instructor or works on the beach, she's going to be in a bikini or all the time. And that's probably going to be the bulk of her pictures. That could be what, what he saw when he first, you know, saw her. I don't know. Yeah. But the, the expectation that she not wear swim, put post swimwear pics on her Instagram seemed a little bit, um, uh, a little bit of a reach if that's her, her profession. But why was she posting them? She's Is a surf. Does that the way she gets work, or is it for a per was she per posted him for professional or for 
just to have him on there? What was the reason? Um, I I couldn't say exactly, but I mean, it's her profession. So she's going to be in a bikini most of the day, every day. Um, just like any of us posting, um, pictures from work, you'll be, you know, in your work clothes. I mean, th those are her work clothes. Um, now he also mentioned about being a model. So she probably was trying to get into modeling, which wouldn't be too far fetched again for somebody working, um, in that type of field. So, so um, is realistic. I mean, and maybe these are two different questions, right? Number one, is it unrealistic or unreasonable of him to expect her to change that, knowing especially that that's what she was doing already? It shouldn't be a surprise to him. So I don't know why he would act so shocked and outraged over it, number one. But number two, is that somehow manipulative or is that a misuse of the word boundary for him to say, I don't want to be with someone who engages in this lifestyle? Is that what he said, though? Or was he saying... Um, you know, you have your work, you do your work, but when you're with me, you're with me. But it wasn't when you're with me. It was, I don't want you doing these things at all. Right. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh. And and it was to the point where, um, which at least she remarked that, I guess, because they were going to counseling. And apparently in the counseling session, the even the um, the therapist was trying to get her to agree that anytime she's out there surfing, if a male surfer comes near her, that she should just swim away. It sounds like a lot was going on there. That's not being, that was not, we're not, it's, uh, we're, uh, not, um, aware of. There's right. a lot, it seems like a lot of things going on in the relationship itself yeah. that we may, you know, behind the behind closed doors, so to speak, that right. we're not aware of. I had thought the same thing, just looking at it, taking a cursory glance at it. I thought, you know, I don't know what's going on here, but it seems like there are some major trust issues and perhaps this relationship is not the most healthy to begin with. Right. Because right. uh, he even in his... In, in the in the uh, message that she posted up from him, uh, one of the last things he said was um, something about these are these are it, it made it sound like there had been some kind of trust broken prior for some reason uh, in regards to this. It, we don't, I don't know if there was, but just the way it was worded. And I forgot what it was um, now. But, yeah, we both thought, you know, that sounded like there was something more going on, just like you said, Sheba. Yeah. Now, the, the one other thing about this was that apparently, so this is his ex-girlfriend, and they've been broken up for a while, um, and she posted these, these messages at the same time when his current girlfriend is giving birth to his child or something like that. So just out of the <laughs> blue, she decides that she's going to post these private messages, mm. and they haven't been together, I think, for like a year or something like that. And that's the part of it that wasn't really spoken on. At least it didn't seem to be the front and center of the conversation. Everything I saw on it was about him being manipulative by using therapists language to try, try to sound like these are boundaries, but they're not. I didn't really see people talking about how come she's posting these old messages and the timing of when she's posting them. Right. Well, I did see um, an editorial who said that they, uh, and I quote, um, that her cell phone needed to be taken away <laughs> because it, it came, I think something else, somebody else was complaining about uh, their partner and she came, she piggybacked off of that 
incident at the time. So this, and I think some people from what I understood in this article were very annoyed and like, she needs to go away. Mm. Well, and I, I, you know, I was like, well, what, you know, I was asking, well, I would question that too. Why is it coming out now? Exactly. Because usually when things happen, you, they, people will tell you, right. They bring the issues to the forefront right away. But why was it happening when someone else said something about their partner? It just seemed to me that the timing just wasn't good for what, I don't know what she was trying to accomplish or what happened. It sounds like them not being together was a good thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> toxic. Yeah. That probably was a very toxic relationship. And that's what it is to me. That's kind of my takeaway. Life is too short to yeah. surround yourself with uh, people and situations that are just toxic and aren't good for you, right? Maybe they're good with other people, but yeah. for whatever reason, it wasn't working out for them. And right. we can leave it at that, right? It, it's fine. Walk away. And we're, we're all going to have our different views as to whether it was approached the right way by either party. But for whatever reason, it seems like it, it wasn't a good look for them. And we don't need to be in bad looks for us, right? Let's try right. to remove these sources of stress from our lives. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Um, well, yeah. speaking well, of- I could tell you what the last I spoke, I think before that, I was a moderator, a co-moderator. I don't think I spoke on the being a co-moderator for yeah. the mayoral race in Poughkeepsie, New York. You mentioned that you were um, doing that, yeah. Yes, and it turned out to be very good. The uh, it was at, held at Cune and Hackett in Poughkeepsie, and it was packed. Nice. Yeah, it was really it was packed, and the primary, uh, the Democratic primary, took place. And Yvonne Flowers, she's the first black woman, if elected, if elected mayor, she would be the first black woman to ever hold that position. Oh wow. And a Democrat. And she's expected to win, right? Isn't that a Democratic city? Yes, she's expected to win. There you mm. go. So I think that's history, that, that and was, you got to actually be part of that history in some way, Shiva. Yes. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. So, excellent. I wanted to talk about this federal judge blocking the president's asylum policy. Now, it looks like this is going to be headed to the Supreme Court. So I think the saga is going to continue on this. But this is breaking news right now. Yeah, I heard that. The, yeah. So the president was actually trying to limit the number of asylum seekers coming into the U.S. by putting some kind of filter, if you want to call it that, in place where they had to make an appointment. Uh, let me see. I think there were two different ways they can get in and one of which was to show that they were denied entry from a previous country and the other was to make an appointment to schedule an appointment where they could be screened let me see if i can pull up this article so, so limit the the amount coming in they were trying to right. They were trying to limit the amount coming in by putting these controls in place. And the federal judge 
overturned that or, or blocked that rule, which will now, at least temporarily, allow more asylum seekers in because they're saying that this Biden policy is actually similar to a Trump policy, which the same judge also struck mm. in that it's an attempt at the executive branch of the government to override the legislative branch. In other words, Congress already acted on this. Congress already put controls in place, already has a law on this. And in their view, this is the president improperly commandeering the legislative branch, right? Making its own law when it's not the province of the, of the executive branch. So mm-hmm. this will be appealed and the story will continue on this. But as of now, it seems to indicate that more people will be able to come in without these checks. Right. Which is is kind of um, contrary to what the, the conservative talking points is in, in a way, because, it, you know, the idea is that liberals and Biden, they just want a, an open door to let everyone flood on through and overrun America. But it sounds like they're probably trying to put that the liberals or Biden's administration are trying to put some controls in place. So, um, you know, that that doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it does seem like the last two administrations tried to enact similar policies on this. Although if we're going to delve into it even deeper, the Trump administration certainly was, uh, I don't know if restrictive is even a word, right? <laughs> Much more harsh on people coming yeah. in, kids in cages and things like that, right? So let's right. not say it's exactly the same, but at least right. when it comes to this particular policy, they both seem to have these controls that they were trying to put in place and the federal judge is striking them. Well, what controls were are they? I did hear that, and but what controls? I didn't go in depth to what controls, what measures are, controls are they trying to put in place? So... Yeah, there were two that I mentioned. I was trying to find the exact language here in the article, but one of them was they had to show that they were denied access in another country, seeking asylum in a different country. And so they were just coming to America first. And then the other one, I believe, had to do with scheduling, trying to schedule an appointment so that they could be screened by officials. Right. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, sorry. Yeah, you did mention that. Yeah. But um, I think how how do they? What's the path that they get here? Is he talking? Is he referring to those that are coming uh, at the border? Yeah. Or, so he's uh, focusing on that issue. So what is the path of them getting? To, how do they get to um, to this country? How, what do they what's the path that they take that they can come through um come up to texas to get into this to get here what do you mean am i am i asking the right question like how what's the travel what is how do they travel to get here are they going what countries do they go through before they get here oh, they, would, they would have to get through mexico to cross the cross our southern border yeah no matter where so, they're, they're yeah. coming to the border, they've got to go through Mexico. Right. A lot of them are originating in Central America. Right. they got to go up through Mexico. Yeah. So does Mexico tell them no? 
that they can't stay in Mexico if they seek asylum? I believe yes. Um, yeah. That has been a con- and that's been a um, a criticism um, that I think you've seen people leverage against Mexico when Mexico pushes back on the U.S. trying to enforce its immigration policies. People will say, "Well, look, your southern border." You know, when people are coming in from other parts of Central America, you you enforce that. You don't want them staying in your country. Um, so how are you going to push back when the U.S. is trying to enforce theirs? And that was also one of these criteria that the administration set, which was en route to the U.S., right? So let's say you're passing through Mexico. Right. Did you ask mm-hmm. Mexico for asylum, for example? Did you ask another country for asylum or are you right. just coming here first? Right. Right. Because because from what I before President Obama left office, I think he they those people that are coming now were already in. I forgot what country it was, but if I remember correctly, um, when he became when he left office, he said that they could not enter the country. Is that correct? Before he left with the last day, because they had those asylum seekers, those it seems like those uh, asylum seekers that are coming here now uh, are from the Obama administration because they waited two years. Yeah. What do you mean? I think they couldn't enter the country. I think he before he left, I think and I maybe I think and I'm going to look it up, but I think he told them that they would not be able to enter the country, that they had to wait wherever they were. So when Donald Trump got into office, Donald Trump was like, no, we're not going we're going to have set measures or set set up. um, What did you just what was the word, Mike, you just used? Controls. (laughs) Yeah. In place. So that. Right. That they don't that. We limit the number or they don't enter at all. But I think it started with the, it started on the last day of President Obama's administration. I have to look that up. There's a report that an increasing number of these folks are Cubans, Venezuelans, and Nicaraguans. And that's becoming an issue because due to strained diplomatic relations between the U.S. and those countries, we really can't support people back to those countries uh, yeah and, and that's probably what it was if i would be yeah. because they had to yeah they come here they wait two years and they become citizens is that correct no no was that correct no, no. wait two uh, years and become citizens automatically no anybody gets to but, but they have to go through a process <laughs> no. oh yeah, it's, it's yeah. The whole they process. have to go to a process yeah and in fact, I was talking offline to Jay about this. We actually know someone who I believe is going through that process now or is about to. It would be a good guest to have on the show to talk about what he's gone through or what he needs to go right. through to get that citizenship process. And we, and we actually, come- a former guest also just went through that process. Um, we had, um, remember Sam from Australia. Mm, uh, she, yes. she got her citizenship within the past year as well. Yeah. And she came through that channel. Was that the way she came? She came. She didn't come through as a as a refugee or refugee uh, or asylum seeker. Yeah, yeah, asylum seeker or anything like that. She came through um, the normal way. Right, but it would be good to see 
people that were able, because I think this has been, you know, asylum seekers have always been coming to America and it would be right. nice to, to get someone that has gone through that path to, to tell, to talk about what it takes once you be to, to actually become a citizen. Yeah. Now there's a little bit of a caveat here. I did say that the ruling would allow more asylum seekers in. However, the judge did put a 14 day stay on his own ruling before it takes effect, which may allow a Supreme Court appeal on this. So this might actually go up to the Supreme Court before any actual change happens in the policy. But as it stands now, the policy was struck down. Right. So that would open the door for more people to come in without those controls. Yeah, because if would they be if he hadn't struck that down, they would be stuck where they are. Is that correct? Well, people can still get through, but it's like a screen, right? It's it's, yeah. it's more restrictive. You have to, again, yeah. show you try to get into other countries and you're making an appointment for a screening with officials. And being uh. on a nuance, I think it's uh, necessary to mention that, you know, um, the other side of this is that um realistically there has to be some kind of a limit right right can't have we just can't have a completely open uh immigration border or whatnot there has to be some because people have to have somewhere to go right otherwise you're yeah. gonna have a bunch of people that come in and end up homeless um sure. end up pushing putting a stress in the system that it may not be able to take or you know a variety of reasons and that's what we're seeing in New York City right now. And the mayor is trying to actually push back on that. The city council is giving him a hard time. In fact, they overrode his veto on that. Um, I believe that was the first veto the city council in New York City overrode since the Bloomberg years. Right. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't happen that often. But he's saying that the city is going to go broke trying to care for and support these folks. We don't have the budget for it. We have to put limits on it. He's saying there's no room here. They're doing what they can with the situation right. they have. So it's a very tough situation. And yeah, he's trying uh -huh. to push back and to Jay's point, say we can only do so much. Right. But yeah, there are those true. who say that the human rights side of this takes precedence and we have to find a way to make it work, even if pragmatically it's difficult. And and yeah, it is makes it a very difficult decision, makes it a, a difficult position because there is that human rights side of it. You know, people are uh -huh. seeking from, you know, uh, very difficult situations. Um, but you know, you, you gotta weigh both options uh, as well. Unfortunately, if the system can't bear it, then you're going to create another crisis. Um, in in the place, the destination is going to have a crisis. And I believe one of the things the mayor is now trying to do is go down to those border areas and distribute literature telling people not to come to New York City. Mm. Not to come to New York City? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's saying we have we have too many. You know, we can't handle yeah. the strain that is being that's being put on our resources. You know, they're putting folks in homeless shelters to the extent possible, but we know there are many problems there. Right. Uh, and so I know he tried to send them complaining about it, yeah. that they're that they're saying that these local shelters are going to be bombarded with migrants uh, to a, an increasingly and, greater degree. And then um, we have homeless people that are here who need those services as well. Uh -huh. Right. Right. And I know here, you know, further north, you know, further north, um, when he was sending them to Dutchess and Orange County. 
they put a, they said no that they put it they put a um stop to that because again because of the resources right uh the, the towns are small the towns ha they have a difficult time dealing with the homelessness that they have here uh, in the towns because they never had to deal with homeless population before now that they have they're really struggling to deal with it so Those that's the why they put them I said that's why they said you know he could not send them uh to Dutchess in Orange County because right. yeah because uh, as I said we uh we have uh homelessness here and that's something we never had to deal with before yeah so it's kind of like we, we don't need any you know anyone else until we figure out how to handle the situations that we have at hand. Well, there was a story that you might be familiar with. Apparently it was a Motel 6 or some establishment like that where they kicked out all of the paid guests. I think it was somewhere upstate or mm -hmm. um, somewhere, somewhere up there. They kicked out all yeah. the guests in this hotel and replaced them with migrants. So some people who were at the hotel were very upset that they were kicked out. Yeah, right. they did. I, that that um story i think what what could be could be done and i don't know if that's what they're doing and how they're doing it is look at the different states across the country at, at the federal level either reach out for that information to see what kind of capacity everywhere has and then try to um you know send people to places where there are open spots to try to be able to help as many people as possible and to try not to overburden one system to where there becomes another problem later on um have everyone send in you know send in with their capacity can you how many can you take in how many uh, are you able to provide for um in new york city there are a lot of empty buildings that you know office buildings in manhattan and whatnot but it's still there has to be a budget in place to be able to fund and finance uh, a large portion of people coming through. And so if they right. can't do that, even the, having the housing is not necessarily going to be the solution. And then right. what would you say? You're going to what pay off the people who own these buildings? Right. And that's another issue there. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, yeah, I mean, again, I don't know if that's how they're doing it. If they're saying, look, listen, let's put a feeler out to every state and each state from every city and county to send how many are you able to uh in your budget deal with how many are you able to take in and provide for and then let's, let's accumulate that data and then we can start sending people to to these locations to help as many as we can possibly do so you're saying there's plenty of room in the dakotas and wyoming like look at sparsely populated areas it's possible if there could be uh -huh. there may be smaller areas maybe they can take you know 10 families um and you know send send 10 families up that way maybe there's a, a little small place in ohio somewhere they can take you know six or seven families um that way i think it'd be able to if we have that data we'd be able to help as many people as possible and then look at what the limits could be um right. instead of okay yeah. we're going to take everybody that comes in we're going to send them to new york and now new york has right. to figure out what to do with it and new york's already going through a budget crunch but possibly like you said the dakotas might have a few spots available over there and then right, you also and have the policies yeah. and the rules and the laws of those individual states. And it's been right. controversial that New York City is known as a sanctuary city. They call us even a sanctuary state. Right. There was a decree in a lawsuit a while yeah. back saying that basically New York has to provide 
services to homeless people in the state. And that's why you see even other states trying to dump homeless people, not to use that term harshly, but that's what the states are intending to do, right? They're doing it, I think, in a harsh way. They're trying to say, we don't want you folks here. We're going to make you New York's problem because we know New York can't turn Mm -hmm. you away. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but where they can't, where the state doesn't turn you away, the towns can have these injunctions that'll say, stop, no, we have and, to. Yes, that too, right? And, and and now you're even seeing New York City pushing back against, right? The mayor of the city yeah. is fighting, his own city council, right? The, all the city council of New York City. Every, there's all this interfighting happening now over it too. Uh-huh. And, I, and I think if 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 we get to see what, what each place can comfortably provide for, then we'll have less of that infighting because then it's no, then it's not, okay, we're fighting over resources or fighting over budget. If you can comfortably handle say 10, 20 families um, and that's what gets sent your way, then there'd be less of an infighting. If someone's trying to send you 50, 60 and you can only handle 20 comfortably, then you're going to have these infighting between people saying it's not in our budget. We can't do this. It's and whatnot. Yeah. But I mean, it seems like, the city council is trying to fund this with no limitation in sight, you know, and that could be a problem fiscally if it ends up bankrupting right. the city or really putting a strain on the city's resources as we're seeing start to happen. Right. Mm. And we, I mean, we get it. People need help. I mean, we get All that. Right. It, it's, you know, it's not an easy situation either way. Yeah. Right. And we did talk about in the context of that affirmative action case, it's not a zero sum game where one person's success is automatically someone else's failure. But with that being said, resources are finite. And so that needs to be kept in mind too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of the affirmative action case that we covered here, there has been, I guess, a development on that, if you want to call it that, or at least a fallout from that, in that the Federal Education Department is announcing now an investigation into the legacy emissions practices of Harvard, because they're saying that with affirmative action no longer being allowed in college admissions, you can still do things to ensure a diverse campus one of which is to cut back or eliminate the legacy emissions where you give preference to people who are the descendants of alumni, right? Oftentimes wealthy, certainly affluent folks and disproportionately white. And so they're saying, listen, you want more diversity on campus. You can't directly do affirmative action per the Supreme Court anymore. But why don't you start by losing this legacy preference that you have and and i don't think the people that took up the fight that 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 backed this fight to to get rid of affirmative action um i don't think they looked that far ahead um in that regard because these would be people that were definitely for legacy admissions you know that Mm -hmm. sent kids to their alma mater type of thing um Uh and it could be this case of you know you know, your, your own attack coming back to, to bite you, um, whatever that, that saying goes, but yeah. It could be, it could be, you know, I find it interesting from a constitutional slash legal perspective, because when we broke down that affirmative action case, we said that 
the policy was subject to strict scrutiny because it discriminated on the basis of race, right? In other words, it, it looked at the students and applicants race in making its determination as to whether they should go to that school. Um, under the 14th Amendment, and then you have the Civil Rights Act, obviously, <laughs> that's frowned upon, right? It, you have to overcome a very uh, high bar to survive scrutiny in a case like that. Well, this legacy what? admissions issue, okay, has she we had a question on that? No, I, I was going to say, but with the affirmative action, and uh, from what I understood um, years ago, yeah, um, affirmative action was if you went to that college and you had a white student with the same uh, uh, a, um, test scores, SAT scores, um, you should be admitted, even you know, with even though you was a person of color, or black people, uh, African Americans, you should be admitted if you have the same qualifications or you make the uh, same in other words, test scores. In other words, the That's idea, what it was. the idea behind it was that you shouldn't be excluded, right? Because exactly. Of yes. So how? And I'm trying to say, but my question is, how did it turn into color? How did the affirmative action turn? Who made it a color? And this, they made it a color issue. But it, the reason why it happened was that if I want to go to Harvard, I have yeah. the same scores as someone that's a legacy, has a legacy, or I have the same scores right. as someone, uh, as a white person, on affirmative action, no, you're I could be admitted right. because you're I met the criteria. No, you're absolutely right. That was the goal of it and so, remains, remains the goal of it. But the thing is this, when you're doing this analysis from a legal perspective, you look at what the policy is on its face. And if the policy is that we can take race into account when it comes to admissions, it becomes presumptively unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment. Um, not that it, it's never allowed, right? And in fact, I'm on the side that it actually should be allowed. But there is a high bar to overcome because the 14th Amendment says everyone is entitled to equal protection under the laws, meaning presumptively, you can't treat one group of citizens, one group of people different from another group of people unless you can overcome the strict scrutiny. So you have to show that you have a compelling state interest in doing it and that you're doing it in the least restrictive means possible. So that was what the argument was about, whether they had that compelling reason and whether it was narrowly tailored, whether that was the least restrictive means of achieving that compelling interest. So, yes, strict scrutiny applies, but I would argue this this is a case where it should still survive that scrutiny because you did have that very compelling reason and they did what they needed to do to try to ensure diversity on campus and preserve the integrity exactly. of the institutions. So that's why, that's why I don't understand what happened that this Asian student complained. Well, you don't understand because why they complained? I thought, was it an Asian student? Because I saw well, an Asian... Right. Well, the, the, what it was is there. there is a group called um, Students for Fair Admissions, I believe is the name of the, the group. And the face of that group are is, is generally in the public. These these Asian students that are complaining, saying that that they were being passed over for admissions to the schools that they wanted to get into because of affirmative action, giving spots to less deserving and less qualified uh, black people. And so 
but the 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 truth behind that is i mean sure they they participated in it but the truth behind that is there was this conservative white group that was the one that pushed them towards this they were the ones that basically went up to those asian students like you know you know you didn't get in because of those black guys because of affirmative action right. and no, so they have, that's not the case that was not the case at all it's it's not the that case was, that was that, something to, to get this whatever that was something um to what could i to not is it something well let me ask a question maybe i should ask a question is that something to keep us because uh, to keep us from getting into the to the school because when you um go to those schools you have to have the sat you you they don't take you with a c level and c c average in those schools it's the no, same you have the average no but it's, they're right but but the scores that you needed to get into those schools were a little bit different on average depending on whether you came from what they called an underrepresented minority group because they were trying to get more people in to have a, a campus to have a, a student body more representative of the population of the country right and so we looked at it for example in harvard law school you needed an lsat a few points i think it was like four or five points lower if you were an underrepresented minority. Now, an Asian student, believe it or not, was classified as an overrepresented minority. So it was actually harder for them to get it. Right. And it's because, I mean, you look at the well, percentage. The school set that up then. Well, you look because at the. That's not, uh -huh. I'm sorry. I was going to say, you look at the percentage of the, of the um, student body, and Asian students were, were pretty high up there, consistent, almost consistent with white students, um, yeah. even though they're a much, much smaller uh part of the population of the country you know they're they're what i think they're less than 10 percent um and so but they were still on par uh, attendance wise and so that idea that they were being uh discriminated against and not being able to get in um is completely false um but it, it was pushed that narrative being pushed and it was the same people that have been trying to the same type of people that have been trying to get rid of affirmative action since it was implemented in the first place it's not you know that's not the first fight to try to get rid of affirmative action they've been trying to get rid of it for the 60 years that it's been around yeah they have, they have been and that's that's my point so they had to find a way it seems like right where they could say all right we don't need it right it's, right it's violating so let's put let's put let's put a person of color face on it and a, a minority face on it this time and then let's try to push it that way and this time it worked right and you could draw parallels to how the supreme court gutted the voting rights act by saying that well it's no longer necessary basically racism is over right, right. that was kind of what they were saying in their opinion right it took a similar approach here i think where they're saying it's not a compelling interest they they said things like you know oh it's admirable it's commendable but it's not a compelling interest basically they were downplaying the seriousness of the issue to say that the state exactly you know the the college couldn't meet its burden of strict scrutiny which is a tough bar to overcome right we'll we'll, we'll admit that but they're, they're saying that they couldn't meet that bar because they didn't have a compelling interest because uh, it's a nice thing but it's not really that important that was their attitude towards it right, right. so we've seen this attitude kind of consistently from this court this shouldn't really be much of a surprise we've seen it but it's still a disappointment it's still something that we should talk about and talk about how we're going to push back against mm -hmm. that's why i think this legacy admissions issue is interesting and i had made the point previously that it's not quite the same if you were going to challenge this constitutionally or challenge this legally it's not quite the same as the affirmative action case because on its face 
This isn't racial discrimination or race-based policy at all on its face. But when you dive into it, you do see that it's very disproportionately beneficial towards white students and wealthy students in particular, because Mm -hmm. that's usually who gets the preference in these legacy missions. These are the families who tend to be contributing a lot of money to these colleges. And so they have Mm -hmm. an interest in keeping them happy, right? Um, So taking that approach, you could actually start to draw some parallels to the affirmative action case. If you were going to try to defeat the legacy admissions legally as well, you could say that this is a form of race-based discrimination. It gets a little bit tricky because there is a difference now constitutionally and via the Civil Rights Act, and that goes to public Mm -hmm. versus private, but then that gets a little fuzzy as well because even these private schools get a lot of public subsidies and so you do have a lot of issues at at play here but broadly speaking when it comes to the civil rights act you could show a disparate impact whereas when it comes to the constitution you have to show that it was intentional discrimination so you know you really would have to show that the policy was but but that's the thing you said policy and and of cases i don't think the policy it's actually an actual policy it's not, it's not an actual policy and that makes it tricky to challenge in its own right right but even right. if it was right even if it was let's say harvard you, you can go into harvard's <laughs> admissions book and they say we give you 10 more points on your application for, for a legacy i don't think it says that but even if they said something like that it's still not saying that we take your race into account that's a different thing constitutionally so i'm saying the analysis of that would be different when it comes right. to a civil rights claim i think you can draw more parallels to it because you can start looking at the disparate impact. Okay, your policy doesn't say that it's racially based, but if you deep if you dig into it, you see what's going on here that it really is in many ways. So right. there are parallels to draw here. Thing, I find that interesting that they're doing that, but they're not the same analysis under the law. Right. But the thing is how they use it, you know, with the cut because when you have it, when you have Harvard, as you say, have the white students that can get into these schools without any problem um, affirmative action would lend itself to color because those are the people that were being blocked out well here's also an, an interesting oh, point right. but, but, but but hold on a second so i just wanted to be clear on that that this supreme court case that just happened overturned one that previously said that you can't have a quota system in college admissions. You can't say we're, we're taking 30% black students, 20% Asian, whatever. You can't do it like that, but you could qualitatively take race into consideration when choosing whom is admitted. And so that's why it facially does have that racial element because they were allowed to take race into consideration as a factor. And of course, the reason why they did that was to try right. to correct those injustices that existed. But that does leave it vulnerable to that constitutional attack because on its face now, you're making discriminations or you're making uh, separations based on race. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. um, just to, to keep in mind that um, the people who benefited the most from affirmative action policies were actually white women, even though it was set up to be more to, to make it equitable and fair for uh, black and brown and people of color in general, white women benefited the most of it. Right. But now, again, when you talk about the 14th Amendment, you talk about equal protection. Race is a protected class subject to strict scrutiny. Right. Gender has gotten what they call intermediate scrutiny, but it's also kind of a tough bar. So it's a little bit below race. When you're talking about someone's financial status, 
that only gets rational basis review, meaning that it's very deferential to the policy, right? Whereas uh, if you're if you're separating people by race or by gender, then it's deferential to the people challenging the policy, right? It's presumptively unconstitutional. Whereas if you're just making a distinction based on the amount of money someone has on its face, that is rational basis, meaning they only need to have a legitimate reason. Um, it needs to be rationally related to that reason. Basically, they can do almost anything if they're separating people on the basis of money or, or something that's not a protected class. Anything that's not a protected class uh-huh. is rational basis. So it's kind of a, a, a cheap way to have discrimination because, you know, even racially or, uh, it, you know, in terms of these, these other factors by classing it as something different, right? If we're saying, well, we're not doing it by race, we're doing it by affluence, we're doing it by wealth. Okay, Mm -hmm. what does that that really mean? What do you right? You're still kind of, you know, if you look at the 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 result of that, you are still discriminating by race by doing that because we know that the most of the people who are wealthy are white. Largely, you know, it's not gonna be everyone. But largely speaking, especially when you look at emissions in these schools now, right? And, and that also goes back to the case where the dissent made a point that these schools historically have been discriminatory towards people of color. And so even if their policy is, well, it's all about the grades, you know, even if there's no affirmative action policy, we just let everyone apply. We take the best students. If that's what they say they're doing, look at the actual yeah. results. And they said historically you needed much more credentials, right? You needed higher grades to get into these elite schools if you were a student of color than if you were white. So if you took if you took comparable students in terms of grades, the white student was going to get in a lot more often right. than the non-white student, which is why you needed affirmative action in the first place. But some of that also might have to do with legacy emissions. Well, I think this decision is going to cause, there's a trickle-down effect with this uh, decision um, and I think it's a lot of uh, issues, a lot of um, problems of what they quote consider problems will be are coming out. We're going to are going to be attacked, are going to be questioned. You know, like give up the legacy. That's a that's a result of affirmative action. Um, what else is coming behind that? That trickle down effect is going to be quite interesting to see. Well, it's going to triple down effect on it um and we mentioned last time we had the had the discussion on it when california did away with affirmative action in the college admissions back in the late 90s um immediately the following year there was a very significant drop in admissions of black and brown students in universities and they're only now 20 years later almost seeing those numbers come back up to what they were in the 90s after that drop because california has been trying to do other policies to to make up that shortfall but it took it's taken about 20 years to even get back to that level so you imagine within that 20 years if that policy was in place how many black and brown students could have benefited and been educated to the college level and gone on to have whatever their careers and whatnot that come mm-hmm. above come out of that so that's that's a significant very significant part 20 years worth of students is a significant piece it is well Check this out. This was a study that was published yesterday, it seems, led by Harvard and Brown researchers that found that wealthy students were twice as likely, twice as likely 
to be admitted to elite schools compared to their lower or middle income counterparts who have similar standardized test scores. Sure. So think about that. Another reason why affirmative action was in place. Didn't yeah. Bush two two um, Ivy League schools? You can't tell me he had straight A's. But think about that. You're taking students now. I want to make this point because a lot of people say, you know, it's just about the scores. It should be maybe, but that's not what we see in practice. Right. Take two students with similar test scores and yes. a wealthy student, a student who comes from money, is twice as likely to get in to the same school as uh-huh. the same scores without that money. Absolutely. And not only that, you have to have money. What about the people, the trustees, their families? That's the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they get in too. That's the you legacy. Know, people, yeah, that legacy. You have trustees. That's it. That their their family members go and people so that think, are well connected. Right, and I think this they, is they get oh, in. it's kind of that hornet's nest effect. Like they've kicked the hornet's nest with this to some degree, um, and we're going to oh, see how yeah. that plays out. Where people are going to are coming after legacy admissions practices now, and that's going to make people who are who benefit from it uh very upset and unhappy because of course i should get in this is my this is what we've been doing for you know generations Uh right now let me ask you this should the schools be allowed to i guess that could be a whole question but just want to get your brief thoughts on it should they be allowed to give preference to legacy folks i mean if these are the families, let's say, who are keeping the school running, they're the ones giving the gifts. Should they be allowed to give anything in return to those families and say, well, we're going to let your, your kids in because we want you to keep giving us money. Without that money, maybe the school will fail and won't be as prestigious anymore. I think a gift is a gift. If, it, if it's a gift, it should be a gift. <laughs> no strings attached. <laughs> right. Well, is it a gift at that point, or is it buying your way in? Didn't someone just yeah. get <laughs> some actress get in trouble yeah, for something? Sure. Like that? Yeah. yeah, if you try to put those conditions on it, but mm-hmm. they're unspoken. Right? Yeah. This right. policy. That's the thing, it. right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, we can we can all guess why why rich students would get in, regardless. Regardless of the color, we could all guess why a rich student would get in more often than a poor student, even if they have the same qualifications, is because uh-huh. those are looking at the potential for the the donations from from their right. family um, afterwards because they want that and money. Yeah. yeah, or from right. them. I mean, I, I get letters them. from my schools all the time, my alma maters, right, saying, you know, you've graduated this year. We're checking in. We hope you can give us a gift of any size. It will be great for us. Uh, yeah. They reach out to all of their alumni trying to get contributions to the school. So obviously it is more beneficial for them financially to have wealthier alumni because they're going to be giving more money. So, yeah. yeah so, well. so should that, should that not be allowed? And I guess my question is really about business. Let's say it's not a public school. Let's say for argument's sake, it's not even being subsidized by the government. Let's say it was a, a purely private institution should they be allowed to make decisions like that? Really business decisions, right? I mean, because we look at colleges as serving the greater good, serving the public interest, but they're also sometimes private institutions. Should they be allowed to make those decisions for themselves? If they're not 
racially discriminating, although we see that there is that disparate impact, but mm-hmm. right, if, if we're going to put that aside, should they have that autonomy or should they be regulated in that area? But they usually do. They, they do have that. I mean, if because how many private schools uh, that have those legacies and they're, they're quaint little schools mm-hmm. and nobody else gets in but the people, you know, the don't. Right. Yeah, the oh, sure. But my question is, should, should that be allowed, though? I mean, should they be given that freedom to operate the way that they want to and let the market decide? People will say that, right? If you don't like it, don't go there. Don't even apply there. Don't send your kids there. Screw it. Go to a different school. I mean, should yeah, that be the but, case or should we be regulating see, all the, the colleges? But see, the thing is, my people and money are funny. If a person is giving their money, then they feel they should have, they have a right uh-huh. to say how it should be spent. <laughs> I, I think it, I think it kind of, I think it's kind of a complicated question. Um, it is. We can say, you can see several sides, right? One, we can say it's a private institution. They should be allowed to do what they do. You can say it's an education institution. Uh, they have a, a responsibility to to the public in that regard. Um, but it does complicate matters when you're thinking about, if you're talking about schools that are like Ivy League schools, for example, right. where um, whether or not the education is any better, the prestige of it has a very profound effect on your your future and future opportunities. So not only are you by by restricting who gets in because of legacy admissions or whatever or taking those spots, you're, you're not only depriving them of that education, but you also could be um, you know having a, a, a disastrous effect on their future or a limiting effect on their future because of what the 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 weight of the image of the school carries. Mm-hmm. So you think it should matter? Uh, well, that it's, it's an Ivy League it's, school, it's, a prestigious school versus one of these quaint little colleges. I mean, does that make a difference in the analysis or in the moral calculation? I, it, I don't think it should. Um, yeah, but that's not how the real world runs. <laughs> you know, and I understand, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's, I don't know. I'd have to. I, I really don't know because, like you said, that's it's a tough call. It's a I mean, it's a tough call in, in some some way. It's a tough call, right? Um, I mean, absolutely. If it, it, it becomes more of a difficult question when it's a private institution, if it's a public institution, right. That, right. absolutely. With the answer, yeah, and that brings up, I think, a whole different question, which is: Should education be privatized at all? I mean, maybe even. All of our universities should be public. I don't know if we can say that, though, because then that yeah. means it, no matter what you do, you can't create any sort of an education program. Um, but then then the question would be is, is well, if you well, do you don't have to say any educational program, but, you know, accredited degrees, let's say, like, you know, to give a bachelor's degree or a master's, like certain degrees. Right. Well, that comes from the then that would be the accredited body. Be like, OK, look, um, mm-hmm. part of the accreditation process is that you have to right. have percentage uh or, or this diversity in your thing but i guess they're not allowed to do that anymore or not but allowed see, to- Mike, when you when, when you talk about it on that level you have who gives them who someone's get how is it that they can be um accredited by the state there are multiple oddities talk- around around the country right. um right. But that, yeah, that, yeah that i know but i'm saying when you talk about private schools 
What makes them private that they can have hands off? Like you can't govern our body. A lot of it comes down to the subsidies that they get from the government. So even if they're private schools, if they're largely funded by taxpayer money, there's that state action there. And that's how you get the constitution to come into play, right? These rights that we talk about, which really are only against the government. You ask how, how is Harvard subject to the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment if they're a private school. But you've seen cases um, looking at the amount of subsidies that some of these private schools got. And that's how you got the state action there. Right. And and have, when it comes to discrimination, you also have the civil rights act, which says that private businesses cannot discriminate on the basis of race. Right. And I think that's an important point as well. If, if you're taking any sort of public funds, then yeah, no, you, you shouldn't. Yeah. You have to have right. some, you, yeah, you, you have to, you should be open, but then if you're not, they have a not. right to say, yeah, we don't, we, we allow, if you have the money, you can come, you can attend. If, and that gets back to the whole thing. If, if you have the money is even saying that, and, and that just might be inherent in higher education in this country. And maybe it's, it's a really a foundational problem that we're dealing with here. But to say, if you have the money, are you inherently discriminating on the basis of race? Given, <laughs> given that wealth is so disproportionately distributed. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's not facially, and that does change the analysis. Right. Right? But it's that disparate impact, which is relevant. And ultimately, I mean, it's it's really kind of like, uh, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face and that uh, an, a more educated population is better for the co country as a whole. Right. We, com right. we, we, we compete better globally. We more business will come this way if we have a, a higher educated population. Um, I mean, yep. remember in the 2008 uh, crash when there was um, people were looking for jobs and it was desperate. It wasn't that the positions weren't available. Um, it was that we didn't have the people that were educated to the level to be able to fill a lot of these positions. I mean, there was, of course, jobs that were gone, but there was a lot that went unfilled because we just didn't have the educated populace to do it. Yeah. Right? This ultimately having everyone educated in some form or another ultimately helps the whole nation as a whole to become more prosperous. And that's why it's not a zero sum game. So even if you are a white student or an Asian student or any kind of student, you want to attend a school that has prestige and that keeps us prestige and that is truly representative of the country that these students are going to be working in and participating in, in the economy of, right? And so mm -hmm. it's actually better for you too to be in a, a a better school, a more diverse, more school that represents America, represents the country, represents the world, because that will better equip you for the world and will make us all stronger. You know, so it's, it's a matter of making the school more well-rounded, which makes all of its students more well-rounded. So it's, yeah, I, I think, I think the easiest answer to, to your question, Mike, um, is in three different parts. The first part is if you're a public school, then no, you shouldn't be able to to do that. Um, if you're now, um, the the question that you just posed about should the schools be able to to make that that judgment call on whether or not? I think if you're if you're a public school, absolutely not. Um, if you are a private institution that takes public money in some way or shape, some shape or form, mm -hmm. no, you should not. 
Um, yeah. If you're a private school, I think it becomes a little more difficult. If you're a private school that solely subsists on your own funds, mm. it becomes a little bit more of a difficult discussion. But if you yeah. take sort of public money, any sort of public benefit, then no, you should not. Um, right. Yeah. right. If, if it's purely private, you start to ask, okay, who are you to tell me who I'm allowed to teach? Kind of. Right. That right. becomes a then, then you know, I think that what you fall back on is, uh, are are you in line with the Constitution? It's a yeah, complete. Right. Um, but, but what about the Civil Rights Act, though? If you can show that disparate impact, right. that that type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that does apply to private businesses as well. That's right. an interesting argument, right? If you can show even mm-hmm. a private, student, and what if it's not even a school like Harvard? Let's say it's some little program that someone started in, in their basement right? but yeah. and it's all private and it's not, it's not there's not big money involved right it's it's very very small operation but they're training people to do a certain skill that's very useful in a particular area whatever it is like it's a niche thing but it's very important in, in that local economy you know if you can show that that particular institution is only bringing in people um, who are the children of alums, right? Like it's just basically exclusively a legacy thing. And it just so happens that they're all white, let's say, or they're all Asian or they're all certain thing. Do you have a claim under the Civil Rights Act to show that there's a disparate impact here and that the business is discriminating, even if they're not saying that they're discriminating on race, that's effectively what they're doing. And I guess that would be fact-based based on what was actually happening there. Was it, was it a coincidence or you know, what was the deal? But it is interesting to start looking at that and to say, okay, you're acting like these legacy emissions are so innocuous and it's not race-based discrimination, but what is the overall effect of that? And, and is that yeah. just a way to circumvent not being allowed to discriminate on the basis of race? Are they still doing that, but calling it something else? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what I said. It's, 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 this is, it's so much now. It looked like it has opened the door to other things. <laughs> As you said, kick the hornet's nest, uh, talent, um, timid. Uh, and I think yeah. it should. I think we're we're going to have to, you yeah. know, keep challenging things. Um, in yeah, this. because you know, Mike, I, I worked in a school some years ago. I worked in a school, and I can I can count uh, people of color that w- went to the school mm. um, on one hand. Yeah. And but the school was very expensive. Right. And let's let's be fair and as far as, it, as, far as I mean, this, that's the way it was. The way is, it is, it still is. Yeah, let's let's make a make a point to point out that this wasn't uh Harvard or Yale or any of the Ivy League schools that went after these policies to overturn them. That this was right. a, a third party. Um right. and at, for for their part, even though Places like Harvard are ridiculously expensive and kind of exclude people by by price alone. They have made mm-hmm. effort, efforts in the past to to make spots available and to make uh, grant money and things available for people who right. are are not in that financial class that normally goes there. Um, so they've they've done a lot in that regard. Right, but now was the argument based on that? I, firm, was that argument based on that? No, it wasn't about financial aid. Right. So I'm just saying as far as... Yeah, but we don't know how it... What started it? What started the conversation? We know what started the conversation. 
they want us to start the conversation since affirmative action was put in place, since black people were brought here. It's, that's been the same. Garden variety racism is what started the conversation. This is over. Right, but I'm saying in this day and time, let's look at present day and time. Has it changed? What started yeah, the conversation? Has it really changed? We saw a study that just came out. It just came out this week. It just came out this week, right? Just, showing that wealthy students were twice as likely to be admitted. I said the study just came out this week showing wealthy students were twice as likely to be admitted. I mean, obviously, a lot of this discrimination is still going on. Right. But let's look at it like this, too. Just a thought. Doesn't have to. They have. Yeah. They open up where they have to, as they say, accept that quota. No, number. no quota. No quota. So, you know, they have a certain number of African-American. Do they do they go? That was, is it that like was that? struck down a, a long time ago. Okay. Having a well, certain number was not allowed. What they just struck okay. down now was even taking race into consideration at all. Right. But supposing, um, what I'm saying is, if I, they okay, let's say these schools open up, just mm-hmm. they open up and they allow, they say, oh, we have these funds and we have enough funds to allow, let's say, black students in to give them a full ride or pay so much of their education. And another student, maybe the Asian student, say, oh, I should be a part of that as well. Is that a possibility that something like that could have happened? Well, affirmative action wasn't paying for people's... Um... No, I'm not saying paying, no. It's how it's structured. Once it, See, affirmative action is what was, was uh, made, uh, added to the Constitution. No. So once the uh, once the schools got it, what did they put? What, what what did they put in place, and how did they inter? How did they interpret it? Once they got the that. No affirmative action affirmative was not action. in the Constitution. Equal protection has been in the Constitution since Reconstruction, right? That's the Fourteenth Amendment. Well, affirmative yes, action was rights. challenged under the Equal Protection Clause as not right, being constitutional. It all stemmed out of the Civil Rights Movement. Affirmative action. Right. It stemmed out of the civil rights movement. Sure. But what I'm saying is that if you have something open, if you open up something, which I have seen this done with schools, some schools will do. There comes a point in time where they'll say, we're going to open this up and we're going to invite, say, you have a school that's elite, very elite. We have funds that we're going to invite students of color. That we will give them either. You're talking about like the grants or scholarships? Right. Because that that came into question too. That's coming to question. They're saying do away with that. So what um, my question, so I'm trying to see what happened that all of this came in to say now, how are they going to get there? Because now when they did that, it also questioned, should we have the scholarships for them? Right. See? That's a trickle down so, effect that we were talking about, right? Exactly. It's going to start getting exactly. into these other areas, right. and things are going to be questioned, right? right. This, this decision doesn't automatically knock everything else down, but it right. sets a dangerous precedent, right? Yeah. And it's it's with something that people are going to point to when they want to make an argument for whatever it is that they're disgruntled about, um, right. whether or not they're justified in their in in being upset or not. Perfect example, MWBEs, right? Minority women-owned business enterprises, which a lot of state and local governments do to try to get more contracts, more government contracts given to businesses owned by women and people of color. You can take mm-hmm. a case like this. Again, doesn't automatically strike it, 
but it can be used as precedent to, to try to build a case against a program like that. Right. Exactly. That, yeah. and, and in some way that happened, well, my point is in some way, I think and this is my opinion and it doesn't have to be true. In some way that happened in that school for something happened in some way. I think that happened in the school. What, to some extent, I think it might have happened. Yeah. Well, what happened is is um, uh, this this group that um, students for fair admissions. Um, it was backed by this very conservative, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head right now. I forgot it. Um, it's conservative uh, white guy that's been pushing against this stuff for decades, right? And like we discussed earlier, he was looking for another way, and so this was coming at Asian students who were disgruntled about not getting into schools that they felt that they should have gotten into and saying, basically, Hey, the reason you didn't get in is because affirmative action made, um, took your spot because they had to give it to, to these, to these black people or these Brown people. And And there was an opportunity there to get these students and these groups on board because that has been a political battle that's been waged over the past few years when it comes to Uh standardized tests. And a lot of the um, Asian populations, in fact, have been trending more conservative in their voting patterns over that issue because uh, some of these more left-leaning groups and and politicians have been rallying against even having standardized tests because they say that they're inherently unfair. Right. And and what it is is with the admissions process, it's not as cut and dry as people want to make it out. It's not just right. the test score. You have this grade point average. That's what we base it on. We They base it on a bunch of different things. And, you know, they things, do. extracurricular activities and things you're involved in, whatever, whatever the case may be. And a lot of times what they saw in the research was that while Asian students were scoring um, very high, some of the highest scores as far as the test scores were concerned they were falling behind other groups in different areas of that the admissions process took into account which was you know kind of balancing out why some might get in and some might might not get in so it was a very complicated process it wasn't it wasn't affirmative action that was keeping them out of schools but when you're upset about something and you feel okay i've worked my whole career my whole school career to get to get here this is where i wanted to go and you don't get in and someone's telling you well this is the reason why i mean everyone's looking for a reason and a scapegoat and they keep pushing this to you and then of course they're going to start shoving you literature and and everything that make it seem like this is correct then you know they're like look we're going to fund this we're going to get this changed so people don't have to suffer what you've suffered through because you're the victim and and right when people are feeling that angst already it becomes easier to pit people against each other, right? Like, like some pull strings and says, oh, you know, go after them, go after them. And it's like, you know, right. they're gaming the whole situation to yeah. serve the agenda that they've had all along. Oh, right. Exactly. And all it takes is just one angry person, right? Right. <laughs> to just start the ball rolling. Right. Or, or somebody with money, <laughs> which, which is really the crux of the whole issue. <laughs> That's true. When it comes to the legacy. So, so let's... This is a concern. Just real quick, the conservative oh, yeah. act who runs Students for Fair Admissions is Edward Blum, B-L-U-M. So you can look him up, but he's the one that's behind all of it. And he's been doing this thing for for a long time. So let's put the poll question out. The poll question of the week is, do you believe that legacy admissions should be allowed when it comes to college admissions? Did I say that right? Is that redundant? Legacy admissions, college, college admissions? I don't know. 
Yeah, I think I think you got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So speaking of polls, because we didn't want to go long, but we did do a poll last time on social media and parental consent, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. So um, what's going on? Just to re- reiterate, um, Arkansas has put forth a, a law and was passed by the the governor there, um, who is Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was the former spokesperson for Trump. Um, and, and in that law, it states that people have to provide identification. They have to have all social media to access any sort of social media. So that means if you're going to open a Facebook account, you would have to provide uh, identification. If you use Twitter. Oh, right. Uh, Let, let's let's be clear, though, because we did look at the actual legislation last right. time. They have to verify their identity and it left it open as to how that was done. One of the choices that the law gives the social media companies is providing your state issued ID. But it said or you could use any commercially available, reasonable age verification. So it kind of left that open ended to find some kind of software out there. I don't know if there is a lot of stuff out there that doesn't use ID. We talked about maybe just the old school way of just asking someone to enter their birthday. That could be one as well. I don't know what they're going to consider reasonable, though. Right. And there are the thing is there are there are, are verification um services out there. Um the US government uses one. Um and I forget the name of it off the top of the head, but they use one. Um and so basically what you do is you provide your you provide your identification to these to this company. And then when you go to if they were going to say Facebook is using that company, then it would just basically be that that company would be verifying that you are who you say you are. Right. But at some point you still have to verify yourself with someone. You may not yeah. be doing individually with yeah. each company it could be with one big right. service right there's a bunch of questions the as well law is requiring some form of age verification to right. get on social media and they're on its face trying to keep children from getting on without parental consent but they're sweeping mm-hmm. everyone into it because in order to find out if you're a child you have to show your id so even an adult is going to be burdened right they're going to have to try to figure out uh, how to get on you, you know, with their idea by whatever way. And, and the question then is, does that restrict their free speech? All right. So we put the poll up um, in that regard to say, you know, should age verification and parental consent be required to access social media? Now, we got, you know, quite a few views on um, on YouTube over it. We got a couple of comments here. Um all the comments that we did get, there weren't a lot, but they did say yes. But um, only one of them actually went into uh, a little bit of a background. Um, and they were taking the point of the yes, but, you know, age verification shouldn't be a problem for adults. As for minors, you see statistics on children being stressed about social media, age verification, parental consent should at the least make parents aware that their children are on social media. And then they went into an anecdote of my nieces were not allowed on social media until their last years of high school. And I think that's a good thing. Now, in this theory, this it's it's more apparent, apparent responsibility in that point. And even in this comment, it doesn't seem to address that, you know, the company's doing verification. This is more about the children. And that's kind of where they're trying to target this law. But if you're a parent and you don't know your child is on social media, then that's a different issue, right? Yeah. right. Have, you and, have right. all the vices. And, and if you're not a parent at all, 
you still are swept into this nonsense. You're just trying to get on online and right. you have to show your ID for what? I got nothing to do with this. Yeah. I don't even have kids. I just want to tweet memes. I don't, I don't want to have to go through all this. I want, I want to look at cat videos. Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's something. So I went through and asked, we went further on that. They, they clarified a little bit more and they were saying like perhaps they could provide another way, like providing a school ID that doesn't have a, a social security number or date of birth. Because then I guess only students would have school IDs at that point. Right. I think in that situation, now now this Wait, company I don't, I'm, having a, a I'm, data. I'm confused. How, how are you doing age verification by asking for a school ID? Uh, well, I'm, it's going to say elementary. Right. Only students yeah, would have. High school. Then, gonna, it's gonna so that if you don't have it, then how do you get on? I'm sorry? So if you don't provide your school ID, then how then do you, you get on? Then you can't get on. Then how? I wouldn't then, have the full idea. I'm not in school. Right. So, so basically it's, but that's a tough call because you have a lot of school, you have schools that are, um, interacting with students via, uh, sometimes social media. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's, 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 it's really a tough call what they're doing because you have children and, uh, there's different sites that they have to go to. I don't think schools should do that, though. But they that, do. Yeah, but yeah. They do. I don't think I don't think they should like rely on students having a, a Twitter account to to communicate with them. Yeah, not Twitter, but it's interesting because sometimes they'll have their own social media service if you want to call it that. Right. Like, right. That's that where there's yeah. a forum, right? The school forum, like a message board where uh -huh. everyone's school is supposed yeah. to, and sometimes they even post their homework assignments to it. Right. Yeah. So, so in some way that's going to hinder it some way. I don't know how they're going to work that out. It's going to be quite interesting to see w how they organize all of this. Yeah. I don't understand the whole argument about you can just show your student ID. I don't know how like. Uh, because. Right. Because then only students could get on to a social media account because they have a student. Right. ID. Right. And then if you don't have a student ID because you're an adult. You can't right. just let anyone on because then then the kid can say I'm an adult, so I don't have a student ID and not provide one. Like, you can't let people on if they don't. Yeah. So right. I don't, I don't know how That's that true. gets you there. Right. And you have some students have access to their parents' information, and mm -hmm. you know it's, yeah. <laughs> there are a number of ways. If if the goal is to keep students safe on social media, there are numerous ways to do that um, already, and we've had these these things for you know since the internet's been around there's there every social media account has parental controls that can be implemented every device that you would use to access social media has parental controls uh in, that can be implemented parents have to do it and if parents are right. really concerned about their student being or their their child being unattended in the wild west of of the internet then you put all access points in publicly available spaces. You put you put the computer That's in the true. right. You you, you yeah. don't give them a smartphone that has internet connectivity. You give them a you know a Nokia where they can just make phone calls. Like or if you think they you should know, but, homeschool them, keep them you know if, if you think the world is too scary for them, keep them away right. from it. Right. I don't but you know, that mentality, but people have different ideas. Right. But I had when my grand I, my granddaughter has had a cell phone since she was ten, right? And um, I worked and it was Verizon, and I worked with Verizon, and we and they would they would let me they would ask me 
uh, they asked me, Verizon asked me, how much access do you want her to have to certain apps? Yeah. 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 They would call me and they would ask, uh, she, she asked for this. We, we need to get your permission. Yeah. Because they locked that phone down. It, when they found out her age, when they, and I, when they found out how young she was, the safety they put in safety mechanisms to keep her uh to limit her to certain websites yeah that was automatic that's it and that's at the service level we can go we can even go one up and then go to the device level if you have them have an android or an iphone before you give it to them go through and you put restrictions on the phone like exactly the stuff is there yeah have a you know the stuff is there it is but you know, I was just saying, you know, I remember them doing that because we 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 kept that relationship. But you're right; they can do it that way too it, it, to prevent anything from happening. Yes. Do you think, Sheba, that there's a danger in burdening adults by trying to keep children off social media without parental consent? You're making adults show their idea, jump through all these hoops. In the meantime, you're potentially restricting their ability to free speech or to access I, I don't think the government for you know. adults oh i'm sorry you said no, no, i'm sorry like access for example information provided by the government you know a lot like you said schools do a lot of social media with their kids a lot of elected officials and you know police precincts and people you know, public information is disseminated through social media as well and also a lot of people use social media to interact with their elected officials right it's too uh -huh. extreme and so by adding this burden to adults are you restricting their free speech by making it harder for them to get online and on social media yes you are and do you think that it's worth doing that to meet this interest of protecting children no i mean I, if it's for children make it for children right i i agree um i don't think it is and, and we're seeing we're seeing this sort of um extreme measures that are, are trying to be pushed um same with uh, recently in the news uh it came that um apple products might not be um apple has their their chat feature their sms feature you know the um, facetime and the, the messages and whatnot that that might be going away for people that are in the uk they might not be able to access it anymore because there's a new law that's trying to be pushed in the uk that would require that there be a back door put into these encrypted communications so every every message that you send to an apple user between apple users is encrypted so that even apple can't look in on your conversations and so the uk says we want uh we want backdoor access to all of this stuff same with whatsapp with facebook's whatsapp and so Apple's took the stand like, no, we're not going to give a backdoor because it makes it less secure and it's about users' privacy. Uh, but they're, they're saying, well, we need to protect children. But, but see, that's, I, I, I don't think that's fair to adults. That's the thing. that I don't think it's fair to adults. If, that, if they're looking at, how did they, why did they bring the adults into it in the first place? Well, because they're trying to for protecting children. They're trying yeah. to figure out who's a kid and who's not. Yeah, you never know who's a kid and who's not when they sign up. So, so they're, 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 they're making everyone show ID to try to prove who the adults are who, and who the kids are. 
Right. Well, then make it for the children. Make it put, put the uh, burden of proof on the child. But how do you prove if it's a child? Well, they do. What do they? They. What do you put in? If you, if it's not a violation, they can give their. Um, they can give their because uh, I just went through it, where they have a child. They have to scan their face. Is but that a violation? Adults would do that yeah. too, wouldn't they? Yeah, but it'll be a whole a difference. I just went through it where they put you through all of this and they scan all your information and they scan. But if it's a child, so then your child can't fine with the law. Then you want you want to you want to implement these measures with the law. Then yeah, it's provide some sort of some sort of identification, some sort of verification. That would be, I mean, I, don't yeah. know, I guess you could argue that multiple ways that might be seen as more intrusive or more restrictive if you're scanning someone's face. Yeah, but, yeah, but on the but other hand, it might be easier to do because not everyone has ID or can get ID, but everyone has a face. <laughs> Most people have a face. You know? Right. So if you're doing it for a child, believe me, when you scan a child's face, you could you could tell the difference. Do you wait, but is it also easier and, to and what's the age limit of these children? children? When wait, they say mean, child, how, how, what's 18. the age limits? 18. 18? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you want, let me ask you a question, though. Do you want Facebook or Twitter or whatever the social media platform is to have a big database of your child's biometric data like that? They kind of do already, though, of all the pictures that are uploaded. Yeah. <laughs> do, but do you, do you want them to be scanning their, your child to, to, to store? Yeah, that is a little creepy. But, yeah. but, but, but also, there's a good point. If 18 is the limit, is the algorithm going to know the difference between someone who's 17 and six months old and 18 no. and six months old? No. You're not. No. So then it's, a, it's going to be. Uh... That's why they use the ID. Right. But um, anyway, we, we said we weren't going to go late and we did. We have interesting discussions as always. <laughs> All right. It's impossible to get this thing under an hour. We, we've done it a couple times. We can do it. I know we can do it. So, well, but, we need the bottom line. Is that the bottom line? Let's be brief. <laughs> Let's be brief. Uh, I think bottom line is, is in our efforts to, to protect children or even to protect ourselves, we have to be careful not to go uh, uh, above and beyond and cross the line uh, into yeah. uh, freedoms and into reasonable protections for people and we have to accept it you know some things are going to be our responsibility to handle in internally and not push everything off on uh, a government or a company to handle spoken like a libertarian <laughs> <laughs> so what you can tell me about the non-aggression principle i have no idea what the non-aggression principle is no idea okay. but well read up on it because now you're a libertarian and training i have no so idea what that's week yeah no but no idea what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> so wants me to explain it this way i look like the libertarian <laughs> <laughs> i'm not a libertarian either <laughs> <laughs> i know although i've been yeah. called social libertarian once or twice I, I think you know depending on what you say and who you're talking to you're gonna people are gonna get labels regardless because right. And we've talked about it before, like every everybody, whether you're a liberal or a conservative, it's some there's there's some issue. You have a viewpoint that doesn't align with the label that's sitting with you. Like right? You could be a liberal. Hopefully. 
You could be a liberal and have a a conservative point on something. You could be a conservative and have a liberal view on something. And if you're talking to someone who's a hard conservative, even though you're conservative, they can be like, hey, that point, that's very liberal. You must be a liberal. Like, well, there's also a lot of overlap between different political philosophies uh in different areas, right? So a libertarian says they're fiscally conservative, but socially liberal. Well, if you're a liberal everything, they're going to say, well, you got the, the half of the libertarians, but that, that's cherry picking which part of it. I mean, it's just, you know, that's just in that one yeah. area. Yeah. So, so but, my son would say with on a lighter note, uh, one of my, I, I have three sons and one of my sons would always tease, he's the younger son, he would tease my, this, his brother, the second son. And uh, he always said, he's a Democrat when it comes he would always say, I would say he's a Democrat on certain issues. He said, but when it comes to money, he is always conservative. Some he people like a conservative. Sounds like a libertarian. <laughs> when it came. You should ask him about uh, the non-aggression. I said, he sounds like a libertarian. You should ask him about the non-aggression principle. I sure will. Yeah. So where can we be found, Mike? We can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Um, of course, we do the live stream every Tuesday on Facebook. For those who join us live, we appreciate it. The replays are available on YouTube at Nuance Show. And pretty soon, I think we're going to get to 100,000 views on the YouTube channel, which will be great. We should actually plan something, some kind of big event or something to commemorate 100,000 views on YouTube. Of course, right. on Instagram, we can be found at Nuance Show. So hit us up, get involved in the discussion. Ah, that was excellently done. Excellently done. Very well. Thank you, Sheba Abraham from the League of Women Voters, as usual. Thank you, Jay Carter, Timid, BLM Tokyo. Of course, I'm Mike Scala. This has been Nuance. As always, we've got work to do. We'll catch you next time.